Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. Uh, I'm your host, and we also have your host, Suzanne Downing, here with us. And we are very excited for you to be joining us uh, today from somewhere in Alaska. We want to thank our, our show sponsor, Charlie Pierce. Charlie Pierce for Governor has made it possible that we can get on all of the nooks and crannies of Alaska with conservative news. So we love our sponsor, Charlie Pierce for Governor, for being able to do that. And boy, do we have a show for you today. It's just Suzanne and I, but man, I tell you what, it's been a quite a, a bit of a circus in the legislature in the last week or so. We've had barricaded doors. We've had people calling, doing the call to vote. We've had just a ridiculous um, uh, things happen uh, in the Capitol Juno over the last couple of weeks. And so we're here to talk about kind of the hot topics of the news today. The first one we want to talk about is your permanent dividend fund. And man, we almost had a $5,500 check cut to every single man, woman, and child out there. The Senate uh, passed a $5,500 check. Some of that was a permanent fund. Some of that was a energy check. And it, that got swung back to the House. Now, I was optimistic, but if you know most of most people that I talked to knew that the house was probably going to screw this thing up, and so uh, that's what happened. You know, for folks that don't quite understand this, me being one of them, um, it got swung back to the house. And you know, you had a mix of the permanent fund, you had a mix of the energy check, you also had a mix of people being promised pet projects if they kept this thing in. You know, hundred million dollar projects here, ten million dollar projects there. And so you had all these things that basically encompassed like a ridiculously huge budget. And, you know, if you pull that project, I'm going to vote against the permanent fund. And if you vote against the permanent fund, I'm not going to vote for your project. And so you had all these horse trades going on. And ultimately, uh, the people were still left with the biggest permanent fund check, I believe, in the history of the check when you factor in inflation or whatever it's called, and a, a small little energy check. So... You know, we we didn't uh, make out horribly like we've done in the last couple of years uh, since Walker has decided to uh, break the law, essentially. But uh, we also didn't make out as best as we could have. Uh, so we kind of landed somewhere in the middle there. What do you think about it, Suzanne? Well, uh, originally, like you pointed out, the Senate proposed a was a fifty five hundred dollar check, and basically there was going to be a, a part part of that was an energy check, just because in recognition that Alaskans are paying some of the highest energy prices in the nation, not quite as high as California, uh, just a little bit under um, Washington State, um, only because they have such a high uh, gas tax there that brings them up, and our gas tax is relatively small. But uh, in the in the villages right now, they're paying over sixteen dollars a gallon for fuel, and that is an absolutely punishing thing for them. I mean, it's it's going to destroy our villages. And even um, an energy check the size that they 
you know, they had there, which is about a $1,200 energy check to begin with, would not have made up for what's going to happen this winter. Um, of course, right now, the ice is, is, is melted on the rivers, the, the fuel barges can come up, the new fuel is going to be extremely expensive, like I said, $16 a, a gallon, maybe 17 soon. And then um, in by October, of course, those rivers start freezing up and the last barges have to get out of the rivers and get out of those communities. And so they'll be stuck with whatever that price is for the winter. That's the entire winter. And so if our, even if our price goes down, it won't go down in the villages. It'll be whatever it was when the last fuel barge arrived. And in, in Fairbanks, we know that what's coming this winter will be uh, people paying $2,000 or $3,000 a month to heat their homes. And if they don't, if they let their homes freeze and, you know, please drain the water out of them, out of the, out of the pipes, because those pipes are going to freeze and burst. I mean, these are really serious concerns. Uh, we're just going into summer and everything's fine. We don't need heat. We can just live, live without it, but um, it's coming at us. And so this check is actually a, a recognition that we're facing some really tough times in Alaska for our pocketbooks. Not, not only that, but the 11% inflation on everything else is really hitting us. I don't know if you've checked lately, but i I know I go to the store and I'm starting to make choices about what I'm going to buy. I don't buy everything. I, I used to just go in and it's like, whatever it is, you know, that's one thing I don't skimp on. I, I eat what I want to eat. But now I'm, man, I'm careful. And I think other people are too. And especially if you're a parent of a newborn and you have a child who's got special needs and you can't feed that child breast milk that um, you, you know, already that when you go into the store, um, the infant formula is under lock and key now because it's so hard to get. So yeah, this was an important check, but um, what happened is that I think the Senate always knew it wouldn't be 5,500, but they started high because they knew it was gonna get whittled down. Once again, the legislature has not followed the statutory formula, which is you simply make the appropriation and then sometime in August, the governor and the Department of Revenue and, the, and they decide what is the amount that we, that we actually have and that amount is usually not determined until August, and it's determined by the governor's office. And they come up, you know, the number is like approximately, the, the legislature uh, appropriates like $1,500 because they know it's going to be in that range. And then the governor and his, his office, they kind of pick what that range is. And they've totally taken this away from the governor's office ever since uh, 2017. Now, 2016, Governor Bill Walker stole half of everyone's permanent fund dividend. As we look back, we know that was the watershed moment. And before that, we all we could accept if we had a $500 dividend because it's based on the five-year average of how the permanent fund did, that's what it was. We all knew that. But once he took half the permanent fund dividend, kept it in the earning reserve account saying, we need it for government, and then didn't spend it for government, just left it in there. It became very clear that government was just going to be greedy and they were going to just say, we'll give you what we want to give you, and then we'll make it political. And ever since then, political calculation, just like this year, an election year for every single legislator who's, um, who's in the uh, House and Senate, except for Donnie Olson, and except for a couple others who aren't running, like Natasha Von Imhoff's not running, Adam Wool's not running, Jonathan Christ Tompkins not running. So, you know, for those people, it doesn't really matter. But for everybody else who's running for re-election, they're going to give you the biggest one that they think they can get away with. And that's what it is now, just whatever we think we can get away with. So next year, it'll probably be quite a bit smaller because it won't be an election year. 
going to be like that until we kind of go along with what Governor Dunleavy says, which is if we don't actually get, let the people vote, put it in the Constitution, get this away from being a political calculation, John, because it is um, the only conversation that they ever have down there. It feels like it's taken over our whole state year after year. All we fight about now is this. Thank you, Chairman China Bill Walker. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the same people that want to give us a small permanent fund and say that it's too complicated for us to understand. And, you know, there's things that happened in Juneau that we just couldn't quite wrap our brains around. Those are the same people that don't want us to have a constitutional convention. Now, whether you're for a constitutional convention or not, it's things like this that will make people want to vote for it. And I think it's going to be, if we have a constitutional convention, it's going to be a crap show. I would say a different word, but we're on okay, a family-friendly Yeah, family-friendly, right. Mm-hmm. So I say crap show, but it is, it's going to be a mess because the, the other side has you know 17 more times more lawyers than us, and they've already gamed this thing out. But nevertheless, if you push conservatives long enough, they're going to vote for a constitutional convention, whether they think they're prepared for it or not. They don't mind it. They they and they don't mind it being messy. And so, you know, you're only going to be able to get away with this for so long before people are just sick and tired of it. There, I think eventually, next couple election cycles, if this keeps happening, you're going to have droves of people showing up to Juno, um, organized, ready to uh, peacefully protest and ready to get their voice heard. And they're sick and tired of, I hear it all the time from, from friends who aren't involved in, aren't even involved in politics, that they're sick and tired of, of these elected officials saying one thing and doing another, saying they're for a permanent, full permanent fund, and they've signed all the things that they did during the election cycle. And then as soon as the vote comes, they vote against it as quick as they can. And their rationale is, well, you just don't understand what's happening. That's what they always say. It's <laughs> like, okay, now that I'm down here, you don't understand I have why I have to do this. And they always they always fall back on that and, and say, oh, well, you just don't understand. Yeah, yeah we understand. Really, <laughs> we understand really well. Yeah, we understand really well. And really the thing that, the possible thing we don't understand is that, I, you know, I didn't fully understand it until a number of years ago is these special interest groups, center left, left groups are down there in droves. Mm-hmm. The special interest groups to the right, they're not, you know, mm-hmm. they're working and they've got jobs. Not that the left doesn't have jobs, but they, they, the left is way more organized than being in Juno and pounding on every single door until they get what they want. And so, you know, we see one of these things play out, these left-leaning kind of strategies play out in all the, all of the nooks and crannies of everything political, including judges recently we saw that we had a a redistricting board every 10 years we do a redistricting based off of population and uh, probably 10 other different things that that we won't go into but essentially they redistrict alaska every 10 years and there's a official board that works on this for a long time and they argue and debate and they come up with maps and they get public input and essentially a liberal judge uh, in the Superior Court ruled, um, I don't know, a week or so ago, that they one of the maps was too unfair, and they were going to have to go with the literally the map that the Democrat Democrat Party presented instead of the map right. that a, a a nonpartisan board 
came up with through public testimony, public input, hours and hours and hours and hours of research. This judge said, eh, you know, I think I know better because, um, you know, because I read CNN and I'm going to uh, make it so that the map that the Democratic Party submitted be the one, not the one that the nonpartisan group submitted. And so it's just ridiculous. We can't win. <laughs> we can't, right, we right. can't win well, at any corner. Well, so earlier this week, the uh, the judge, uh, Thomas Matthews, he uh, he basically denied the, the redistricting board their map, which they had created as a response to his to the previous um, court ruling. It was a Supreme Court ruling saying, you know, your map for the political boundaries from Eagle River to, to Girdwood, um, they don't work for us. You, you're going to have to go back to the drawing table. And the rationale was not very good. The rationale was you didn't listen to enough public testimony. Oh, heck. They listened to a lot of public testimony. But as you put out, as you point out, the Democrats were much more organized. They were doing all the public testimony and the map didn't reflect that. So basically it's sort of mob rule. They said, yeah, you know, you, you need to reflect the, the map that the mob said that they wanted. So the Democrats and all of the nonprofits in Anchorage that are part of this whole Democratic you know, outer machine they do show up and the Republicans do not. And so the Republican party doesn't show up. They don't have a well-organized machine over there. They've uh, slacked off a lot. They don't seem to be, they don't seem to be paying attention to this. Uh, Republican party has been re- very negligent in its, um, its responsibility to, to holding firm for its own values. Um, but in any case, so on uh, earlier this week on Tuesday, judge, Thomas uh, Matthews said, you're going to have to use the, the Democrat map for this coming election because I don't like the map you've picked and the map that combined Eagle River with, with Girdwood into that, that hillside district for Senate, Senate pairings. Well, so that's going to get challenged the Supreme Court. So it, it is being challenged. And the redistricting board has a lawyer, Matt Singer, who's, who's filed a really interesting brief with the Supreme Court. And basically he takes apart um, Judge Matthews, he just says, this has always been for him a, you know, heads I win, tails you lose scenario. Judge Matthews cannot fi- allow the redistricting board to come up with any map except for the Democrat map. That's the only one that he will accept. And here's what he says. In this order invalidating the Senate District E, Judge Matthews ignores this court's established equal protection analysis, balkanizes the neighborhoods of the municipality of Anchorage, contrary to the court's precedents and criticizes the majority of the board for having political affiliations and leanings. Yeah. And that's what he did. It's like, um, you know, in spite of what you said about this being nonpartisan, I, I'm going to argue with that. The redistricting process everywhere in the country that goes on after the census takes place, the redistricting takes place. It is a political process. And what you try to do is you try to tap down a, a, some of the politics on it and come up with reasonable boundaries that reflect um, the voters and the, the groups of voters so that people are not uh, marginalized. But in the Democrats map, what they've done is they've taken all the military vote in Anchorage and they've lumped it into to sort of that Government Hill downtown area. Well, that's a, a minor part of the downtown vote. That means the military vote in Anchorage will never be heard because they will always be overshadowed by the downtown vote. Now that military vote has been paired with Eagle River for a long time. Eagle River is a a very military focused um, neighborhood. And we all know that. In fact, it was just, it was Eagle River, one of the high schools out there just was named a Purple Heart High School. I mean, 
it's it is a military community. And yet the Democrats want to take away those votes from that weaken the, the Eagle River area and put those voters downtown where everybody's woke and everybody's voting for um, you know, just the, the worst policies possible from our perspective. So basically Judge Matthews is going along with that. And he, he's essentially just anything that the board comes up with, he criticizes their, their motives, he criticizes their politics. And um, here's, what, uh, here's what Matt Singer says. There's no precedent in Alaska redistricting case law akin to the attacks that have been leveled against board members and in some cases their spouses. And that is true. During this process, they have attacked uh, people like Bud Simpson, who is the Republican appointed by, uh, by Governor Dunleavy. And they've attacked Bud Simpson's wife, Paulette Simpson, repeatedly because she's very involved in Republican politics. Bud is not involved in Republican politics. He is a lawyer in Juneau who just happens to have lots of clients. Primarily, he represents a native corporation. He is a lawyer. His wife, Paulette, is very involved in Republican politics. And so they criticized Bud and, and said that, um, that he's a political animal just because of his wife. Well, that's for one thing. That's just sexist. I just don't go along with that. But the, the kinds of things that they have said all, all along um, to criticize the redistrict board have been ludicrous, John. And so this is going to be heard in the Supreme Court, and I, they're going to have to come up with a, a decision soon. Because this judge, within there's like 10 days left for people to file for office, and June 1 is a deadline. And with 10 days left, this judge has said, you have to use the Democrats map. And um, that's just ludicrous. So we'll see what the Supreme Court says. Hope, hopefully they'll make the right decision. And hopefully they'll do it fast because we're, we're running out of time. Yeah, it's, um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And, you know, I think if I was on that redistricting board, I would think like, well, why the heck did I just work my right. tail off? Why did I, I do I don't, think, I don't think they get paid. I think it's a volunteer nope, thing. Totally volunteer. Why, why, why bother doing it? If the judge is going to make the decision about the map, why do we even have a board? Yeah. And these, bo these board members, God bless them, because they get it from both sides. If you're on there and you're conservative, you're getting it times 10 from the left. If you're on there and you're the left, you're going to get emails and all those things from the right. And they, you know, they are on the board serving and takes a, and they take a lot of flack, regardless of where they stand, put a lot of work into it, listen to, you know, people scream and yell at them. And then they get done and they decide and they vote and they put maps forward and a judge just changes it. So I think it's just, just a, that is the stupidest process <laughs> I've ever seen because well, it just, you know, no well, one voids all the work that they just did. <laughs> yeah, stupidest process. That's that's a, the, when you have judges jumping in there and saying uh, you're going to use this map for this election, that's just absolutely playing for one team. And this, I, I hope our Supreme Court is smarter than that because I tell you, Judge Matthews certainly certainly stepped right into it. And I'm going to be writing about that today on Must Read Alaska. A little bit about the um, the the briefing that. The, the board's attorney, Matt Sanger, wrote and what he said. Uh, and I think I'll, 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 I'll write about that today. So check it out on Must Read Alaska. I'll be, I'll be letting you know what the redistricting board says about this, um, this particular judge. Nice. Well, I have, I forgot to do the announcement at the front. We're kind of midway through. So I want to do it while I remember. Or else oh, you've got a winner. You've yes. got a winner. 
we have a winner. So last week we had um, literally the probably, and I'm not saying this is without any exaggeration. This is just truth. The biggest Instagram star in Alaska, uh, Danica, she runs Girl in Alaska Instagram. She has a business that basically helps people book their dream Alaska trip. And she has a hilarious uh, Instagram. She came on the Must Read Alaska show and we offered up to give away a um, consulting session. So you get an hour with her to, so she can help you plan either yours or your family's or your friend's dream itinerary when they come to Alaska. We all have those friends and family that I'm coming to Alaska. What should I do? And you're thinking, oh crap, I about, I don't really know. <laughs> you know, you kind of, your, your brain just kind of goes blank using. So her, uh, one of her superpowers is helping plan that dream trip. So we, uh, it, to enter to win, all you had to do was watch our um, Facebook live or watch our numerous other, you know, kind of posts we did about the episode and you could like, share or comment on it. And this thing must have took off internationally because yeah. we had just a ridiculous amount of folks that were outside of the U.S. that commented Everybody um, wants to come to Alaska. I mean, you know, if you live in Alaska, you don't need a trip planner, right? Yeah, we had like, <laughs> um, we had probably around 2000 entries. So that's uh -huh. a lot of entries. And uh, the winner of that is none Drum other Drum than, roll. than Alaska's own Jared Dunbar. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so, I know Jared. So it's pretty exciting. Um, Jared's, Jared's a great guy. That is a great, that's a great thing. Jared, if you're watching this, Congratulations. I hope that you have someone in your family that, that can use these services of a trip planner. You know, that's great. And, and Danica yeah. is a really interesting person. She's got a great uh, presence on Instagram. And I started following her and she's very entertaining, very amusing. And she knows a lot about Alaska. And she, she travels around. This is what she does. And she, uh, she checks everything out. And she, uh, she, I think this is kind of what, what, like travel agents used to do remember back in the day no you probably yep. don't be too young for that no, but I back do. in the day we had travel agents <laughs> <laughs> and so she's sort of doing this now yeah it's kind of like some some things kind of always come back like you know uh, styles from the 80s styles yeah. from the 90s yep. they, all, they always come back well now it's cool again to pick up the phone and call somebody <laughs> to ask them what am i supposed to do when i get there that's like yeah. the cool cool new thing so Anyways, Jared, we will, I'm going to introduce you to uh, Danica over text or something. We'll figure out how to connect you both. And you won a um, free hour-long consulting. You can use it. Family or friends can use it to help plan your Alaska trip. She also just helps people that live in Alaska help, you know, experience Alaska outside of Anchorage or Palmer, wherever they live. So you don't have to not be from Alaska to use her service. So congratulations, Jared Dunbar. Yeah, congratulations, Jared. Very good. Well, uh, and, and I'll be calling him let, to let him know um, that I want to be in on that and know how that trip planning goes. So what else well, do we have today? So a couple of things I wanted to touch on before we head off here is Alaska's, um, and I'm sure, Suzanne, you could chat about this for a while, and so could I, Alaska's continued sense of being fiscally unresponsible. And two things I wanted to chat to talk about just two little stats, because I know our folks like stats, is you, um, you uh, or we printed an article by um, Jody Taylor, I don't know, last week, where she talked about private school and state reimbursements. Well, in that article, she put a stat in there that's kind of the latest stat on how much does it cost per student 
for our public schools. And that stat is just crazy. That stat is $20,503 per student for the 2019-2020 year. That's the latest stat that they have. And that's just a lot of money. And for folks that do the, um, the kind of homeschool options in your school districts, you know that if your kid goes to that public homeschool option, homeschool option, you're only getting like, I don't know, we, we did it one year and we got maybe 4,000. We got yeah. like 4,000 bucks. I think that was it, which I'm, you know, I'm, I feel grateful 4,000 bucks. I didn't have the day before, but uh, it's cost. But you're not getting $20,000 in your pocket so that you can provide your homeschool kids with a very rich, enriched education and, yeah. uh, you know, travel the world and that's that or anything like that. No, it's, it's a, it's a fraction of what the public school kids get for sure. Yeah. So $20,000 just, is just a lot of money. I think, I, you know, people can drill down into the article and, and there's links in there that we provide, but um, I believe last time I really drilled down into it, which was a couple years ago, we had one of the highest um, per student cost yeah. allocations in the whole nation, Alaska did. Yeah, and, and there's a reason for that. I mean, so part of it is uh, we have a, a very, we're heavily unionized, uh, very strong union for teachers and very effective lobbying for teachers up here. But also uh, the, you get into the smaller community. We do things with, we, we pay for things that in other parts of the nation, locals pay for, the state pays for here, but um, like transportation would be state paid for here. And also we have communities where there's 10 kids. And so the cost of educating 10 kids oh, yeah. is normally gonna be a lot higher than the cost of educating a school full of kids where you have, administration and also the the thing in southeast alaska where we have I don't know, 15 school districts or something in southeast alaska we should have two we should have one for juno and one for everybody else but we have a, a ridiculous number of school districts and each one has their own administration superintendent, yeah. a superintendent principal all that stuff and we we are we are really messed up in terms of our education because we're, we're administration heavy in these places and the the money's not getting back down into the classroom so there's reasons for it. And some of them have to do with how we developed as a state and how we had to attract teachers uh, up here. And we didn't always attract the best teachers to Alaska. In, in years past, at the beginning of statehood, you know, we kind of got some of the leftover teachers, the ones who didn't were washouts down south. We didn't get the best ones. I'm not so sure that we're still getting the best ones. We're hopefully we'll, we're growing our own workforce of teachers here, but, um, yeah, our, our cost of education is so far out of line for considering we have the lowest scores in the nation. Yeah, what, you know, I, um, I'm blessed in, on the Kenai. We have a great superintendent now. Um, we have a pretty good school board. And I can only speak to the teachers that are in my kids' school. They're awesome teachers. Um, but it's not like that all, you know, all over the state. And you know, one of the things I think that is a detriment to the system, the teachers, the administration, ultimately the kids is a couple of factors where, you know, the unions are always complaining that teacher retention, teacher retention, it's hard to attract, attract teachers, it's hard to keep yeah. teachers. And I would agree with that. But I also would agree the state has some really idiotic policies that are not helping the case, meaning that, you know, in other states in the lower 48, if I was a teacher in Texas, and I was certified, and I wanted to go teach in Missouri, 
I could go teach. Mm -hmm. Certificate transfers. In Alaska, zero certificates transfer from the lower 48 to Alaska. Mm -hmm. None. A big goose egg. And so what you have is you have, you can't recruit teachers that are already teachers because they have to go through Alaska's ridiculous process to become then certified through Alaska, even if they were certified in four other states in the lower 48. You mm -hmm. can't be certified in Alaska, which is just the most moronic thing I've ever heard in my life. And then on top of that, you have you have places and communities where maybe there's just not a whole lot of people with four-year degrees, which is not a bad thing, but you have substitute teachers in these schools with four-year degrees that basically in order to become a teacher, they would have to go back to school for another four years. That's the path forward. And I know it because I asked the state, just, I was curious three years ago what the path forward was. And you basically, the path forward is, we don't care that you already have a four-year degree. You have to go get another degree to become a teacher here. And that's just, you're going to, you can only cast a wide, so wide of a net if your net is this big to begin mm -hmm. with. Mm. And uh, I think those are two big deterrents. Other states in the lower 48 have gotten rid of those two things. They've allowed people with four-year degrees an easy path to become a teacher and other, te uh, you know, teachers that were certified in other states to become certified in their own state. And it pretty much fixed the problem over a course of a couple of years, but the unions would probably hate that to happen. So yeah, they, yeah. they wouldn't have an argument anymore. Of teacher retention. Yeah. <laughs> well, back in the, uh, back in the day, I'm not going to say when, but when I graduated from high school in Alaska, um, if people can do the research and find out when that was, but um, we had like the second, highest scores in the nation. So something has happened in Alaska in the past, uh, let me just say, uh, get my 50th high school reunion this year. So there you go. Uh, something, something has happened so that we went from the second to the top to all the way to the bottom. Now we're at the bottom in terms of scores. Uh, what happened in 50 years that you go from the top to the bottom? Well, um, there's just no accountability. There is no accountability. And, and I think that this new breeding bill that passed that the governor wanted to see passed and he, he crafted a, an agreement with Tom Begich in the Senate to, uh, and, and the, some of the senators like it, a lot of the Democrats don't like it. it. It brings more money into schools, but it also creates a path for accountability so that the, they actually have to perform because our kids aren't reading. They, they leave third grade and they're not reading. And so if we don't get them reading by third grade, they probably won't be reading. If you look at our scores, it reflects that they're not reading by third grade. They're not reading by fifth grade. And they just keep passing them on through without doing the intervention needed to like help that child learn how to read when the child's brain is most elastic, most ready to read. So hopefully we will start turning the corner, but let me tell you, it's gonna be a big corner to turn. I don't see it changing in the next five years. I would be shocked if it did. Yeah, I would agree. And the uh, last stat I'll end with is Christmas has come early for Ooh. some folks. I don't know if Ooh. you heard about this. 15% raises for a certain department in the entire, for the state of Alaska. Well, um, I'll first talk a little bit about how the fact that folks that own small businesses during COVID have experienced probably the most craziest time to own a business in their entire life. You should know. Yeah, I should know. We sell a we sell a two two by four at our hardware store in Nikiski for something like eleven bucks, you know, and that's just the going rate. We used to sell it for five, 
And uh, it's been an impossible task for folks to stay open during COVID. They've had to cut staff. They've had to increase prices. They've had to change their hours. They're making a lot less money. They've had to take the uh, payroll relief loans from the government. I mean, they're literally trying to stay afloat with anything possible. Tons of them didn't make it through yep. COVID in Alaska, which is very sad. We saw restaurants shutter in Anchorage right and left because of Ethan Berkowitz's horrible policies. And now the state of Alaska <laughs> is cutting a 15% pay increase uh, to a certain- for, for the lawyers. Yeah, for the lawyers. Yeah, for and the I state just, lawyers. Isn't that great? Because we need I, more lawyers. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I know that the law department does hard work. I just think it's probably not the, it's in bad, it's just, it's the toned up. optics it's toned are up. not great. Optics yeah, are not you, great on that. You've got private sector people and almost every business in Alaska has an EIDL loan, which is the, you know, the loan that they got through the SBA. And they're going to be paying that back for the next 30 years. And they're paying it back because of the policies, not because of the virus, but because of the policies. And so the policies destroyed businesses. And sorry about the truck outside there, folks. Uh, the uh, policies destroyed businesses. The businesses went to had to go to the government to get the EIDL loan. Now the government essentially owns the businesses for the next 30 years until those loans are paid off. It is such a racket, John. It, it, it's, um, it's been a criminal enterprise what's been going on during this COVID disaster and um, hopefully we're through it but I don't know we'll we'll see yeah I think if you're I have uh, state-owned roads in Nikiski um, Island Lake Road uh, and um, uh, we know there's potholes in there that hasn't been fixed for five years I drive I drive on a this state-owned road and almost crash every time I drive it I would say let's try to before we start handing out 15 percent raises to everybody Let's try to get the bare bones right first. And yeah. it is unsafe to drive on some state roads out there. Easy things to fix. Mm -hmm. Easy things, front-facing public stuff that people care about. And let's try to do those correctly first before we start passing out huge raises, unprecedented raises, raises to entire departments. So um, anyways, we want to thank everybody for joining us for the Must Read Alaska show. And uh, we want to thank our host, Charlie Pierce for governor for, for sponsoring the show because of him, we're able to get conservative news all over Alaska. And we want to thank everybody for tuning in. We also want to thank folks who donate to Must Read Alaska. Uh, it's because of people like you that we're also able to spread conservative news. If you go to mustreadalaska.com on the right hand side there, you can donate to Must Read Alaska, whether it's a dollar or a million bucks. We appreciate every <laughs> single uh, dollar that's donated. And you can also find us, find our app. If you have a Android phone or like a Samsung, or if you have an Apple phone, you can go to that app store and just type in Must Read Alaska. We put a lot of time, money and resources into developing an app for just you. It's free. So while most of our competition makes you pay for everything, and most of our competition has big foundations and, and stuff to fund mm -hmm. their projects, we offer our content for free. And we're funded by the free people of Alaska who donate five bucks at a time, 50 bucks at a time, hundred bucks at a time. So we're pretty proud of that. We want to thank you for tuning in and Suzanne and I will be on the Monday show. So feel, uh, don't forget to miss, uh, to, <laughs> not to miss us. Don't forget to watch us uh, Monday morning, nine o'clock on the Must Read Alaska show until then from somewhere in Alaska, I'm John Quick signing off. <laughs>